What's up guys, I'm Sasha Taylor and this is Cars Are For Girls. I'm here to be your navigational guide to the car world and to answer all the things you wanted to know about cars but didn't know who to ask. Now, we need to address something here today, and it's something that not nearly enough people are talking about. And it's the fact that there are way too many inexperienced car buyers that are getting taken advantage of by car salespeople. And when I say car salespeople, I don't just mean the sales rep at your local dealership. I mean, this is happening in private one-on-one -on -one sales. This is happening at used car lots, and it's even happening at reputable dealerships. It's crazy how many people have a car buying horror story or know of some way that a sleazy car salesperson misled them in order to make the sale. Clearly something needs to change and it needs to change for both the buyers and the salespeople because the general mistrust towards car salespeople has actually been shown to negatively affect job performance for those salespeople. And I get it, like if you've been mistreated or misled by a sleazy salesperson in the past, I can empathize with the fact that a, a car salesperson's job performance is probably not at the top of your priority list, but these are still people going in to do their job. and think about it, who would be more motivated to sell with honesty? A person who everyone already thinks acts dishonestly or someone who gets the benefit of the doubt from customers? And I don't know what the Canadian numbers are here, but last year in the US, around 200,000 people were employed by dealerships to work sales positions. So even if we lowball this and say maybe only 10% of those people are actually trustworthy, honest people, that's still 20,000 parents, friends, and neighbors that deserve the opportunity to show up for work and be successful. And on the buyer side of things, we're affected by this too. An inexperienced buyer is not gonna make their best decisions when they're making it from a place of fear and mistrust. So everyone benefits from us collectively making a shift towards prioritizing honest salespeople in the industry. And we do this by taking away the advantage that dishonest car salespeople have, and that's uninformed buyers. Dishonest car salespeople thrive in environments where, where thrive in situations where buyers don't know things. So we can counteract the dishonesty by knowing what to look for and knowing what to look out for uh, to just to make sure you're not going to get tricked. You know what it makes me think of is the Ontario Green Book. And if you don't know what this is, in Ontario, we have this bright Kelly Green health and safety book that it has all the rules that businesses have to abide by in the province. There's a workplace safety trainer that I worked with a few years ago who would always say that this green book is written in blood. And it sounds kind of dark, but what she meant by that is that the rules are there because someone before you was either injured or worse doing something. And so now you have a guide of all the things that you should avoid so that you aren't harmed. And maybe it, like now I'm, that I'm saying it, this might be a bad analogy because I know how many people don't like following rules, but I'm still gonna use it because I spent a period of time as a health and safety coordinator, so that guide's got a special place in my heart. But really, if someone else has already made a mistake that cost them, and you have the chance to know about that mistake, learn that lesson before you make that mistake too, or even better, stopping another woman from making that mistake, then you have an obligation to share that knowledge. So let's talk about it. The first lie that I wanna talk about is that none of your dashboard warning lights are on. And this isn't, I want to say this first because it's an incorrect assumption that a lot of rookie car buyers make. You know that your dashboard lights can indicate problems with your car. Uh, but what a lot of people aren't told is that you can clear those dashboard lights. It's not like when you blow a fuse at home and then you flip the circuit breaker and it's all back to, you know, it's all fixed. With cars, you don't actually have to fix the underlying problem that the warning light came on for in order to make the light go off. Literally anybody can clear those lights, but it is temporary. And depending on what the light is for, it's gonna come back on. So it means that 
you could test drive a car with no warning lights on, buy it, take it home, and a day or two later, all of a sudden your dashboard is lit up with problems again. What are some of the lies that previous buyers have been told about the cars that they bought? And how can you see through those lies and outsmart a sleazy salesperson to make sure that you're not fooled by one of them? And if this has happened to you like it's happened to me, you know that when you're on the other side of a sales transaction like this, like once you've already made the purchase, the car's home with you, and you've learned your lesson, you know, you're kicking yourself after for not realizing something or for not listening to your gut when something fell off with the car or with the salesperson. But of course, you learn from that experience and hindsight is 2020. But when the average used car price these days is over $20,000, it makes for a very expensive lesson. So what I'm gonna do here today is try and fast track you to that point of hindsight so that you can know what to look for and you can learn that lesson without having to go through the full experience yourself. Now, I'm gonna clear this up straight out the gate because it's very important to note that I'm not sweeping all car salespeople with the same brush here. Just like any profession, you have people that they get into it because they're just passionate about the work they do. You have people that just show up for the paycheck and you have people who underperform and are disengaged from the job. Unfortunately, sprinkled within all these different levels of car salespeople, you will find individuals who are willing to mislead you, to fabricate the truth, or even to just straight up lie to make the sale. In fact, it's so prevalent in the industry that when you start typing, why do car salespeople into the Google search bar, all the top answers are things like, why are carsmen car salesmen so shady? Why are car salesmen scumbags? Why are car dealerships so shady? And unfortunately, despite there being plenty of honest and trustworthy salespeople in the mix, this just paints the picture of an experience that's way more common than any of us want to see. And the research backs this up too. There's actually a poll that's done every single year by the analytics firm Gallup, and it supports this. To do the poll, participants are prompted with the question, please tell me how you would rate the honesty and ethical standards of people in these different fields. And then they're given a list of professions in a randomized order for each person. And then they rate the honesty and ethical standards of the people with those jobs as either very low, low, average, high, and very high. Not surprisingly, people like nurses, doctors, elementary school teachers, they rank extremely high on the list. They're some of the highest ranking in perceived ethical standards and honesty from that list of occupations. But what's wild is that car salespeople are ranked the second lowest out of the entire list. Like this is a big list of occupations and car salespeople, the only occupation that they actually beat out in the list in 2020 was politicians, which I mean, that's not exactly something that you should strive for. The good news here is that it's harder for your car's internal, internal computer to lie to you than it is for a scuzzy salesperson to lie to you. So cars started getting more computerized around the turn of the century, like year 2000 or so. And when this happened, manufacturers started including these access points into the car so that mechanics can connect right into the car's electronic control unit, right into the car's computer, and to learn information about what's going on with the car. So if you've ever heard the acronym OBD or onboard di diagnostic, that's what this access point, what this port is into the car that you can plug into. And it's something that you, your mechanic can do, but you can do it too, because there's a bunch of these OBD scanners available online that anyone can buy. So it's kind of a cool thing to have just so that you can actually scan yourself to see what warning signals your car is giving you or what feedback your car's computer has for you on what's going on with the car. So what this means when it comes to dashboard lights is that you can have a dashboard light that's been cleared or a dashboard light that hasn't come on, but the car's computer still has that, uh, that flag that says, mm, I think something's wrong here. So you can get it for yourself or 
you know, it's always best practice when you're buying a used car, especially as an inexperienced car person, car buyer, car lover, it's just great to get um, a trusted mechanic to take a one over inspection on the car before you actually put the deposit down on the car. Um, and what that, as a part of that, they can plug in that access port scanner and just give you a rundown on what all's going on with the car. Along the same lines of hiding information, the second lie that you've been told is that a clean Carfax report means the car's never been in an accident. And this is something that even if a salesperson is not directly saying to you that, you know, it doesn't benefit them for teaching you this information because they want you to buy the car. So that's why I want to share this with you, that that the vehicle's history reports, um, so think something like a Carfax report is specific to your vehicle's identification number. So it'll have a history of things on that report that says like accidents, you know, number of owners, if there's a reported theft or a recall, different repair work that's been done on the car, um, and a bunch more details that can just kind of give you a picture of how well this car was maintained and what's gone on with it in the past before it showed up in front of you. But it's really important to note that it's not a comprehensive list. So it only includes events that were reported and that's super super key when it comes to recognizing if your car has been in an accident or not so if you have a little like if you have a full-on fender bender insurance gets involved everything like that you take it to you take it to a, a you know a shop to get repaired yeah that's going to show up on a carfax report but if you get in a little fender bender and nobody claims it if, if you the people choose not to go through insurance or if they have a buddy who can you know, who can just fix things up. They take it to a little corner shop to get the work done. The work that's been done on the car may still be good, but you're not being given that picture of what's actually happened to the car. So there's a couple of ways that you can try and see if the car has been in an accident or if it's had body work done to it that might indicate that it had been in an accident at some point. If, if you see that spray paint has been used, you know, massive production lines aren't gonna be using rattle can spray paint in order to paint thousands of cars so that can be an indicator that something's been done to the car like they've had to buff it down you know do some work to it parts can have that as well um, and it can be an indication that the parts that have been used to put the car back together or to put work done to, to get work done in the car um, it, it's the way that parts are identified within a scrapyard another thing you can look for is um, hints of yellow markings so that can be, there's two things that yellow markings can be. One is those safety posts. If someone had run into one of those posts and there's paint still on the car, um, that actually happened to a previous boss of mine. <laughs> he, uh, he pulled his car back into one of those safety posts and I had to drive the work truck around the rest of the day looking like I was the one who got in the accident. So yellow paint that's gone on the car or really any kind of paint, um, if work has been done on the car to hide this, you probably aren't going to be able to see that, but there's other yellow markings that might be an indication that some bigger work's been done on the car. And this is if you've ever gotten, um, if you've ever gotten a new set of wheels, it's this like almost chalk paint that gets put on that gets put on the wheels. One way that you can tell um, as you're doing your your walk around in the car and you're checking out all the things with it, one way that you can tell if the car has possibly been in an accident or had work done on it is if you're seeing spray paint in places where spray paint shouldn't belong. So I'm talking like uh, screws and bolts or places where, you know, when when cars are done in the assembly originally, when they're factory painted, it's very uniform the way that things get done. So 
if you have, if you're looking in the car, uh, whether it be under the hood, in the trunk, under the wheels, um, under the wheels, under like within the wheel wells, if you're seeing spray paint, what that is, is it's a way that scrapyards will identify different parts of the car. So if you were, if someone was in an accident and they had to, you know, the door was irreplaced, er, was irreparable and they had to replace the door, you can go to a scrapyard, get a new door, new, quote unquote new, and this car was in an accident, you may not immediately be able to tell that it was not the original door of the car. But if it has any of those little yellow markings on it, if you're buying a car, the best way to know if it's been smoked in, of course, is a smell test. You can ask, you know, if you're in a private sale off of Kijiji or Auto Trader or Craigslist or something where you probably get a good a good idea from talking with the previous owner or the current owner of the car, whether they're a smoker or not. Um, and they have a little bit more reason to be honest about it because if you go and if you call them on the phone and say, hey, I want to take a look at this car and you ask them, okay, has anyone smoked in it? Is it, you know, is a smoker's car? It's more beneficial for them to tell you the truth because it wastes your time and their time, especially if, if they tell you that no one smoked in the car, you show up, test drive the car and it smells like smoke, like they've just wasted their own time. So it would make sense if you get a little bit more honesty from there. But when it comes to a used car lot, unlike a private sale, that salesperson is already there to sell you cars. So it's not wasting their time. Um, and they have no reason other than the obvious reason of being an honest person to tell you that someone has smoked in the car. So you can ask if anyone smoked in the car, but I would take the salesperson's response kind of with a grain of salt because you should really do the smell test yourself. There's no benefit to them telling you, oh yeah, you know, someone smoked in the car because most non-smokers will walk on the spot and repaint it to match the car and there you go you've got a new door without recognizing that this was we've conditioned the industry to believe that it's more important to make the sale and not tell the truth and we've really just got to make a shift here smoking is a great example of this actually because a car salesperson is not going to tell you that someone has smoked in the car there, there's no benefit to it most non-smokers have this at the top of their non-negotiable list when it comes to buying a used car, like they don't want it to have been a smoker's car because you have the smell, sometimes it's hard to breathe in there. And even after a car has been detailed, given a good wash, you know, even sprayed with air fresheners or hit with a scent bomb, that, that smoke smell's not going anywhere and it's coming back. It gets into the fabric of the car, whether that be the carpet or the seats or the headliner, the air filters, all those natural fibers and fabrics in the car just grab onto the smoke smell and don't want to let go. So if you have long hair, like a lot of female car buyers do, you better believe that that smoke smell is not leaving your hair. I have long hair and have absolutely no interest in washing my hair every single day. So having a car that smells like smoke where I come home and my hair smells like smoke, like that's just a purchase that I want nothing to do with. So with the door specifically, another thing that can come up and this is very uncommon, but doesn't hurt to know is that if there's no serial number on the driver's door, the serial number should be linked to your specific car. So if the serial number is not on the door, it's a good it's a good chance that that's actually a replacement door that didn't come from the original manufacturer, didn't come as part of the original car. Another lie that some buyers have been told when it comes to the Carfax is that 
the Carfax report or vehicle history report isn't available on the car. And this is crazy to me that this is something that that has happened. But there's a car lot that's out in Alberta that made the news a few years ago because of the fact that a number of different buyers had come forward after realizing that their car's history wasn't what they were led to believe. And it had to do with the dealership withholding the Carfax report um, information that showed that, you know, the car had been in a few accidents and things like that. So the dealership in this case had told the buyers that their system was down so they weren't able to access the Carfax report. But that, but what they did tell them was that, oh, the car has a clean record, don't worry. The buyers went through the purchase and ended up purchasing the car blindly. Only after the sale did some of them find out that anyone can actually access a Carfax report. You don't have to get this through your dealership. Um, and that's where they ended up realizing that they'd been lied to about how clean the vehicle history report is of the car. Even after this news had come out actually, where where the dealership had made the news, and that dealership in this case had every reason to stop being shady. When you think about why some of these lies are happening, it kind of makes sense because as a society of buyers, we've conditioned the industry to believe that the consequence for the salesperson lying is less than the consequence of them telling you the truth. Because if they tell you a lie, you know, maybe they'll, get caught in it and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I made a mistake and yada, yada. But if they tell you the truth, there, there's the chance that you're not gonna go through with the car purchase. So secret shoppers were sent into the dealership to investigate if this was still happening. And it was the exact same thing happening. They, the, the secret shopper, the fake shopper went in and was told, okay, um, you know, the car's clean, car's clean, and then the buyer insisted on seeing the Carfax report. The dealership salesperson went into the back, got the Carfax report, and then said, you know, allegedly made up a story that, oh, it's, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I mixed it up with a different car. This one actually has a bit of a history to it. And it's just like, if you, the moral of the story is really, I mean, one, check the reviews of the dealership you're going to before wasting your time. But two, if you catch a car dealership in the act of lying, it's probably just a good sign to walk in the situation because really if if they're lying about this and you caught them in it what else are you what else are they lying about that you haven't caught them in yet it's you got to think about it in the case of like if you're going to be having a long-term relationship with this business you know maybe you maybe you go in to get a little bit of work done in your car down the road from their from their service department and you just have that in the back of your mind that, oh, they were, they bent the truth. They were bending a few facts about the price and what had happened to the car in the past. What else are they going to be trying to fudge? And can you really trust them to take good care of your car and really be honest with you so that you can make good decisions about what's going on with your car? So it's just a good case that if you, if you catch a company in a lie, it's a really good indication that you can walk and not feel bad about it whatsoever. There are other cars out there. You want to just know for yourself that 100% this has not been a smoker's car. So the smell test is something that you may look absolutely ridiculous, but like the more ridiculous you are with it, the better you're going to be able to be sure that it has not been a smoker's car. So sticking your nose right into the fabric of the car to sniff around is honestly the best thing to do. So I'm talking like the seats, the floors, um, the headliner is one of the best places to sniff around to see if it has like a that smoky or musty smell to it and you may feel a little bit foolish doing this because it's like who goes to buy something and like sticks their face in it to smell it but you are going to feel way more foolish if you walk away and spend thousands of dollars on a vehicle that 
two days later smells like smoke. So just bite the bullet, be a bit of a fool and sniff around because it's, it's definitely just going to be better for you in the long run. And when it comes to, um, when it comes to where to, where to look and where to smell for where that smoke is really, really going to be held, one of the best places to look is the headliner. So that fabric piece that's um, just covering the roof of the car on the inside. And the reason for that is smoke rises. So it, I mean, and it seems obvious in saying it, but, um, but a lot of the time, if it has been a smoker's car, someone's going to hit it with some air freshener and stuff. And you, and you know, if you've probably used air freshener yourself, that when you spray it, all those little water droplets go in the air and then they, they have some weight to them. So they start sinking down. So smoke is going up, air fresheners are going down. There's going to be a slightly better chance that you're going to be able to still detect the smoke smell in the headliner because of the fact that it's not going to be hit with as much of that air freshener or or smoke smell remover that's temporary when you're when you're checking out the car. In general too, and I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, if the if you open the door of a car and it smells very perfumed, it probably means someone has smoked in the car. It probably means that the car has an actual bad smell to it and it's just been masked and it, all of those there is no product on the market right now that will permanently mask or eliminate a smell when it's a perfume spray. It just, you can't do it. Like there's no Febreze, like even though in the commercial it looks like it, you know, it explodes the little smell cells and, and molecules, but it it's temporary. All of it is temporary. That smoke smell will come back. So aside from smells, uh, <laughs> the cigarette burns within the car are a really, really good indicator that someone has been in the car. And it sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but it's something that can be a super clear indicator that that the car has been smoked in. So if you're checking out a car, even online, like don't even waste your time going to check it out if you can see in the photos that there are smoke burns in the seats. Another thing is if you go to check out the car and when you show up, the windows are down, that is a bad sign. Because it means that whatever stink that you normally get when you first open the door of your car, that has had time to seep out of the car. There's a couple of years ago, I accidentally left an entire pizza in the backseat of my car. And just knowing like it's burned into my memory, that smell of like when I went the next day and I opened my car and it, it was not like a nice pizzeria smell. It was like this pizza has been sitting in a hot car for a day. Um, and, and as soon as you open the car door, that smell just kind of punches you in the face. Smoke smell works the same way. So if someone has had the windows down in the car, there's a good chance that that smoke has had smoke smell has just had enough time to dissipate. But as soon as you get in the car, when it hasn't had the windows down, that's when you're going to kind of run into some issues. So that just use that as a sign. That should be a red flag if you show up and, and the windows are down in the car. Another good thing that you can do, and really you should test the AC and the heat system when you're test driving a used car anyway. But if you get in the car and you absolutely crank the AC and absolutely crank the heat, that can give you a good indicator because those are systems that really are going to circulate what all of that resting smell is in the car. And honestly, like if you're a smoker and you can use these strategies too, because you can get a fantastic deal on a car. If you're looking and you see these signs, you can use them as ways to negotiate a better deal on a car because you can trust that most non-smokers are not going to want to buy that car. So a low mileage car will probably even have the original brakes and tires. Um, and take a look at how worn down the gas pedal is because this is an area where obviously it's gonna get a lot of action 
and see if it makes sense if you're buying a car that has 50,000 kilometers on it or 100,000 kilometers on it, you know, okay, what else do I have? One of the worst lies that you can be told when you're buying a used car is having the odometer turned back. And I didn't even realize that this is something that happened in real life. I thought this was something that was just from the movies. Like I remember that scene from Matilda where her dad has that power drill hooked up to the hooked up to the cars in his used car lot and he's rolling back the odometer to make it look like the car didn't have as many miles on it. But odometer fraud is the real thing that actually happens in real life. It just blew my mind when I realized that that was the case. And the incentive here is that fewer kilometers on a car allows you to charge more for it, more for it and it's more attractive to the buyer because they have that perceived they have that perception that okay, this car is going to be something that's more of a long-term investment for me. Not that any car is really an investment because they all depreciate, but it's it's something that they think that okay, I'm spending this much money and I'm going to get X number of years out of it. Fewer kilometers when you buy it leads you to believe that you're going to be able to get more years out of the car. Unfortunately, there are people who will actually roll back the odometer on the car, whether it's a digital one or not. Uh, and it and as a buyer, you're just given this completely false sense of what's gone on with the car, how old it is, how much use it's had, how much wear and tear. And there are a couple of ways that you can tell if this has been done. Um, the first, of course, is looking at that vehicle history report, because as you look at your Carfax report, every time something's been done with the car, it kind of checkpoints it and gives an odometer reading. So you can check and see if the person who previously owned this car or people who previously owned this car drove a regular amount. Like the average Canadian drives around 20,000 kilometers a year, which in miles is like 12 to 13,000 miles. And that can give you an idea if the previous owner had typical driving patterns. And your conversation with the seller can give you more of an idea of what their driving behaviors were like too. Um, like someone who whose Carfax report drove fewer than 20,000 kilometers a year isn't necessarily an immediate like, all right, I'm not buying the car, but it's definitely a, it should be a prompt to have a further conversation. Like maybe they, if it, you know, if it's an older person that you're buying the car from and they weren't driving out and doing errands that much, um, then, okay, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. But if the person is a, you know, an on the road salesperson and the kilometers in the car don't match the fact that they should be driving a ton more than the average person, that's absolutely a red flag. So you know what? Someone told me one time that you can tell someone's age by their hands. So like, even if they've had a bunch of work done, certain parts of the body will still show that person's actual age and the hands are one of them. And in this case, it's like rolling the odometer back is like an illegal Botox treatment for the car because it may look younger at face value, but there are other tells for what the rear, what the real wear and tear has been on, on the vehicle. If the upholstery looks really worn down, if the foam in the seats is really smushed, those can be indicators too that something fishy might be going on with the odometer. Like it doesn't really, things are not completely adding up. Really, that's not a that's not a lot of kilometers to be on a car. So if there's a ton of wear and tear on the pedal, or especially on the floor underneath the floor mats where the pedal is, there that gets a ton of wear and tear. So you can kind of see, does this look like a car that only has 50,000 kilometers on it? But it's not just used cars, even newer cars can come equipped with a couple of lies from the dealership too. There's strategies that have been used by car salespeople for decades to instill this sense of urgency and emotional decision-making in the buyer. Basically things that swing the sale more in favor. Another thing is just taking a look at how the, the upholstery is holding up where the salesperson is increasing your likeliness to actually make you buy. And 
sales tactics aren't inherently bad, but it's those little those little fibs and strategies here and there where when you pair it up with some of the other stuff that's happening in the industry, it can leave buyers with just a really bad taste in their mouths when it comes to buying cars. One of the most common tactics or fibs that you can get from a car salesperson is that line that, oh, you know, there are other people interested in the car. And it's something that gets said so often that it really makes you question how honest is it? And it's something that, that car salespeople have come out and said themselves that it's, you know, it's a line that, that they've used to try and get someone to buy a car and it may not have necessarily been true. So they'll say something like, oh, someone's already put a deposit down on the car or yeah, someone's gonna be back later today to pick up the car if you don't get this right now. And you hear about this kind of a strategy happening with home purchases too, that like, oh, well, we have a, you know, there's a couple of other buyers interested. The difference is that unlike a home purchase where you're spending, you know, six or seven figures and there's only one home like it, like cars are literally mass produced. If someone, if a salesperson is giving you that pressure of, oh, there are other people interested, it's like, well, yeah, there are other people interested, but there's also other cars. So a really good comeback when, when you get a line like that is, is you can ask the salesperson, like, are you telling me that if I come back tomorrow that I'm not gonna be able to buy this car from you? And and sometimes you can get an answer from them that, that really gives you a bigger picture on, okay, are they telling the truth in this? Is there someone else interested? Or is am I just getting a sales line here? And really, if someone else is interested and gonna buy the car, it may be in your favor to just go to a different a different dealership or a different lot anyway to look for the car. In general, it's just, you know, you, you'll get these lines and it's okay to get them, but you will feel pressure to make a decision on the spot because of the sales strategy. But your best bet is just making the decisions before you even get to the lot. Or if you haven't made the decision before getting to the lot, just be making the decision on your own terms away from a situation where you feel like the clock is ticking on a sale. The more decisions that you can make before stepping onto a car lot or before showing up where the car is that you want to test drive it, the less likely it is that someone's going to be able to talk you into something that you're not really down for, like, or, or something that you can't afford. When it comes to navigating a sales situation also, um, it can be a really great opportunity to bring, to bring a friend with you. And it doesn't even have to be someone that, you know, it's helpful if it's someone that is experienced in cars. Like if you have a, a friend or a dad or someone who, really, you know, you know that you can count on, they're gonna know what they're talking about. It's awesome to be empowered to show up and, and know these things for yourself. And that's what we wanna get out of this podcast. And, and like, it's so great that you're here learning about all this stuff. But when it comes to when it comes to being a part of a sales process, it's kind of beneficial sometimes to just have that naysayer with you, like having someone there who's not emotionally invested in the sales so that as you're getting maybe a little bit more excited about the potential of like, oh, I could have this car, um, you know, I really got to get this, then they can kind of pull back the reins a little bit and say, like, re-encourage you to ask, uh, to really ask all the questions that you want to ask and, and just make sure that you're really getting a car that you're going to be happy with. And having this other person with you is good because when I when I say that it, it kind of, they're not involved in the emotional part of the sale, you know, sales can be very emotional. And especially when it's something that you're excited about, a car salesperson and a car salesperson who not only has to sell to you, but also has to sell sell themselves and sell the car to someone who's not really excited about the sale, that makes it even harder and they're gonna try harder for your business. Seeing rust that hasn't been covered up, awesome, got that taken care of. And when rust hasn't been addressed, it does spread in a car. So it is something that is important to, to take a look at. Now, does it mean that you should never buy a car that has a bit of rust on it? No, that's a personal judgment call that you're gonna have to make. but 
a small rust spot can turn into something much larger or a small rust spot can be an indication that there is a larger rust spot hiding somewhere else in the car. So it's just something to make sure that you're aware of. One of the easiest ways that, one of the easiest and most typical ways that people will cover up rust is just really painting over it. And unfortunately, while it may make the unsightliness of the rust go away, the rust is still there. Um, and whatever has caused the rust, most likely some kind of a, you know, paint getting chipped, you know, that that weather, that rain, that salt is still gonna get up into the car and there's a good chance that the rust is gonna continue spreading with the car. So take a look at underneath your car and, and take a look to see whether it looks like there's been a like one of those black undercoatings. If it looks like someone has spray painted the bottom of the car with this kind of black rubbery material, there's a good chance that they use that as you're making, a way, making your way around the car. Make sure that you do really take your time in looking through because if you just do a quick scan, and I've actually done this on a, on a previous car purchase, I, I did a quick scan. Um, you know, I felt like I, I went through and, and I was really happy with, there was, you know, there was a little bit of rust and I was able to get some money off the cost of the car because of that. But the, uh, when I took it home after, as soon as it was in my driveway, there are, there were bits of rust that I thought oh, I really should have picked up on that. The last little trick and hidden thing that I want to talk to you guys about today so that you can look out for it when you're checking out cars is rust. And when you're looking at a car, rust is pretty unsightly. So you can probably tell where it is. And there's areas of the car that are more prone to rust than others. So you could even like if you could next time you're walking through a parking lot, take a peek at the cars as you're as you're making your way back to your car. And you'll see areas unless you live in a really bougie area where no one has rust on their car. If you you'll go through and you'll see, you know, consistency in different areas of the car that tend to pick up on, up on rust, tend to have rust build and grow. Seeing a black undercoating is just a very, very good sign that this car has quite a bit of rust happening in it. One, to try and prevent rust from spreading, but two, to cover up rust so that it doesn't look so bad when they're trying to sell the car. Now, undercoatings in general are their own topic, and I think I'm going to go into that in a different podcast, but paint, while rust will have that kind of bubbly effect, bubbly look underneath the paint, if it's been painted over, um, as, as just painted over, not really, not fully treated, then in before I, before I purchased the car. So just really take your time and make sure that you're, that you're looking through because you may not notice it right away, especially if you're going to check out a car when it's a little bit darker out. So it's a really good idea, you know, safety wise in general, if you're going to go check out a car late at night, but, but it's a really fantastic thing to do to just make sure you're checking out the car on a day that the lighting is good and you're able to really get a good inspection on the car. And even if it is a little bit darker, bring a flashlight with you and you can get a better sight on all of those bits and pieces that are more prone to rust in the car. All right. Those are the, those are the tips and tricks that I wanted to share with you guys today. But if you have more, I want to hear them from you because I know that there are so many crazy car buying experiences that so many of us have. So if you have a story, if you have something that you want to share, I would love to get it on this podcast so that, uh, so that we can make sure that the next generation of car buyers, and even for all of us listening, the, the next purchase that we're going to make, or even just the way that we show up in the car world, we just want to be informed and we want everyone to be able to make great decisions and feel comfortable and confident showing up in the car world. If you have a story, send it over to me, custom at taylorartgarage.com. I would love to hear it and I would love to connect with, with you guys. This podcast is a community that is not only changing what it means to be a woman that shows up in the car world, but also changing the way that the car world looks at women. 
let's be educated in this. Let's know our way around. And even as, even as rookie car buyers, as rookie car lovers, there is so much that you can know so that you can feel confident and empowered showing up in the car world. Speaking of next week, we are going all in on mods next week. We're talking OEM versus aftermarket, what all that means, how to find parts that fit your car. We're talking different changes that you can make to make your car more fat, more powerful, or faster, cooler looking, um, everything down to, you know, just making your car uniquely yours. So if you don't want it to be stock looking the same as everybody else's, what you can do to it in easy ways that you can kind of make your car a little bit more fun and a little bit more unique to you. I can't wait to see you guys there. I will see you next Sunday. There is a new podcast episode dropping every single Sunday. I'll see you then.